Tell somebody we're getting unhindered. Uh huh. If you haven't been here this year, our goal is to get unhindered. That's the word that God has spoken to me, uh, that this is our season to become unhindered. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, context to that that I don't have time to get into this morning. But basically, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be talking about some things sp- beginning specifically this morning uh, for the next five weeks. Uh, today and four more because that's going to bring us right up to Easter. And in the next five weeks, I'm going to wear out any of your pens that you have. Uh, If you are someone that keeps notes on their phone or their iPad, you will probably get carpal tunnel and we'll have to pray for your healing uh, because I have got more information that I need to get to you in the next five weeks than I could probably cram into nine or ten weeks. So it's going to be a long, bumpy ride and it's going to be full of scripture. I've got more scripture uh, in the next couple of sermons than probably 10 normal sermons. So uh, there's, there's a lot. And, and the reason I'm, I'm cramming it all in and trying to get it done is because Easter's a big day and, and we want to be focused on other things after Easter. But what God has told me, and I, I don't say this lightly, I, I came to this church when it was out in Collier's and there was 13 people there. It was over 20 years ago. I, I've been doing this a while. I do not say what I'm about to say lightly because God has not spoken it to me very often. But what he has told me over the next five weeks is that it's going to be the most important sermons that some of you have ever heard. There there is life change coming to somebody in the next month. I, I, I don't know who it is. I don't know how many of you it is. But life change is coming to some of you because... I'm going to be introducing stuff to you that is based in the Bible, but I've never preached it this way before. And you're going to see visually the connection between what's going on inside of you and where your faith should be. When we say unhindered, we're trying to talk about we are a church. We have three core beliefs here at Promise of Victory. We we believe that we're a church where everybody's a somebody, nobody is perfect, And anything is possible. And we're trying to enter into the anything is possible season. But there's some stuff that has hindered us. And that's what we're doing. We're dealing with these hindrances. And to be honest with you, I'm going to be dealing with some things in the next five weeks that's going to make some of you a little bit uncomfortable. And I know that because the church culture that some of you have came from shuns talking about some of the things that I'm going to be dealing with. Uh, unfortunately, in America, we have a church culture that has shied away from the supernatural. Uh, we don't have worship services anymore. We have what we call experiences. And we sing two or three songs, and we get it all done in 15 minutes' time, and we put a bow on it, and we pray nothing happens. We, we hope nothing wild starts happening. Now, let me give you some context. I've been in Pentecost my whole life. There was some weird, wild stuff that happened a few decades ago. Some of it happened on TV. A lot of it happened in revivals. And there was some stuff that was blamed on the Holy Ghost that really probably wasn't Him. And when they saw chaos and foolishness taking place, some people that were in church would say, You know what? I don't want that. I don't want my church to be weird. And so... What happens when we correct things is we often overcorrect. And we swing the pendulum too far the other direction. And because we didn't want to scare off people and we didn't want to be weird, we stopped talking about things because we were afraid of what we were going to be perceived as. Because we didn't want people to think we were weird. And so church has become sound systems and lights and t-shirts and water bottles and smoke and light shows and there's nothing wrong with any of that we have it all the only time that's a problem is when that's all they got when when that's all you get out of church then that's a problem because that's clouds with no water And, and the problem is the bible says in the last days one of the problems with the church is going to be there's a form of godliness but having no power 
And that's where a lot of churches have found themselves. They're in this struggle because they're having church. It smells like church. It looks like church. It acts like church and feels like church. But everybody leaves every Sunday the same way they walked in. And there is no deliverance and there is no change in most people's lives. And if there is no power to change, what are we even doing here? If, if there's no deliverance, why are we here? See, see we, we might as well shut it down and go do something else and, and rent this place out for a moose lodge or something. If, if you're not changing, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of churches have downgraded the value of the word. One thing you will never find me doing is putting the Word on a shelf so that we can have systems above the Word because it's the Word that has kept me, it's the Word that has matured me, and it's the Word I'll keep riding. We do all the other things. We've got the lights, we decorate, we've got all kinds of systems and programs, and we do all that to help enhance the Word. We will never put it in place of the Word. And so so what I, I wanted to clear the air because I, I, I want you to know that I have been very concerned in this generation because wherever the pulpit is silent, the Bible says the people will struggle because where there is no voice of reason, they will search, but they won't find any common sense. And so we talk about relationships at church, and we should, and we talk about success, and we talk about goal setting, and we talk about planning, and we talk about purpose. But if there is no mention of the supernatural, you're only getting part of the story. So let me tell you this morning that there are two forces fighting right now. Above your head, there is a war going on between good and evil. There are two kingdoms at conflict with each other. You don't know how many devils had to be fought just to get you to church this morning. It would curl your hair to know that the attacks that was set against you that you didn't even know you had to fight against because there were warring angels that kept all that mess out of your, out of your realm. You think you're struggling now. You would really be in trouble if you would have had to have fought the warfare that was sent your way, but God put his hand up and said, they're mine and you're not coming any farther than this. But what I'm going to be talking about the next few weeks is not just that struggle because there's two kingdoms at odds with each other, but it's not just in the atmosphere, it's also inside of you. And you sometimes forget that you have more than one of you wherever you go. We're going to be talking about the war within because it's very easy for us to talk about the war everywhere else, but we often forget what's happening right on the inside of us. So you got somebody that hates you when you wake up every day. And it's not just your spouse. That's another sermon for another time. For every assignment that God has given you, there is another assignment against that assignment. The enemy has singled you out and targeted you for an assignment. But nobody talks about it because we don't want to be weird in church. And because we don't want to be weird, hear me out, don't sign me off just yet. Because we don't want to be weird and talk about supernatural stuff, we try to put everybody in therapy, and we try to medicate everything. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I believe in therapy, and I believe that some things need to be medicated. The problem is you can't medicate a devil. And devils don't counsel very well. So you need to learn the difference between the two. Some stuff needs help through medicine. Other stuff needs cast out through the power of the Holy Ghost. And here's why I'm concerned, because the church has went silent on stuff because we don't want to be weird, and Hollywood eats it up. Hollywood has no problem making movies about supernatural, demonic stuff. About every other movie that I see advertised on TV is about some kind of weirdo, supernatural, demonic kind of stuff. They are bent and, and, and full of themselves deciding that they're going to educate the world about the supernatural. The problem is, it's not... The, the biblical view of the supernatural. And so the next several weeks, hear me out, all this is the introduction. I haven't even got to my message yet. By the way, this is going to be a long one. That was, that was my halfway apology. If you got to go at any time, you will not hurt my feelings, but I have to get this out because I've got a, as the great prophet Jerry Reed once said, i got a long way to go and a short time to get there. 
And I have to get all of these verses out to you and all of these concepts. So the ones that will hang in here, you're going to get more information than the ones that I have to leave. But I'm not going to have my feelings hurt if you've got to go. I understand totally because I, when I, I'm entrenched in this. I've been, I've been wrestling with this thing for months and months and months, and I'm as full as an Alabama tick. And I've got to get this stuff out of me. And I only have so many weeks to do it. So over the next couple of weeks, here's who I'm going to be preaching to. Are you ready? I'm going to be preaching and teaching specifically to folks who have struggled with things, some of them for their whole lives, and you don't even know what it is you're fighting. I'm not asking you for a show of hands, but somebody already knows that I'm talking to you. I'm talking about you are fighting stuff and you don't even know what you're swinging at. You have had addictions, you have had proclivities, you have had ways your whole life. And every time you get one inch closer to God, it's like there's a bungee cord tied to the back of you that snaps you back and you lose ground and you scratch and claw trying to get closer to God and something keeps pulling you back. And no matter how much church you come to and no matter how many sermons you listen to and how much praise and worship music you put on, something always, you keep getting caught back up in that same destructive cycle. And over and over and over again, you run back to the same stuff. You date the same man over and over again. I know last time it was George and now it's Bill, but they the same dude. And you switch from getting high on heroin to getting high on Jesus. And pretty soon you won't get high enough on him either. And you'll be looking for something else. Because you've got, these, you've got this, this reaction. Or you get your feelings hurt over there. So you run over here. And then you find out your feelings get hurt there. You're offended here. You're offended there. Here offense. There offense. Everywhere offense fence. It's cycles. We get caught up in this stuff and we don't realize. So I'm going to be speaking specifically today and the next four weeks specifically. It's going to be some of the, some of the most informative and piercing messages that you have ever heard. Because I'm going to get right, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to pull my vehicle right up on the lawn of your spirit life. And we're going to shine our high beams right through the, the windows. And we're going to get to the root of some stuff, okay? So, so all of this, all of this I'm, I'm saying and teaching because... You don't know it, but some of the cycles you're caught up in has hindered your prayer life. We're trying to get unhindered. We're trying to make this the season where anything is what? Possible. And if anything is possible, we're going to have, we decided this year we were going to focus on enhancing two things in you. What were they? Your prayer and your faith. Those are the two things we want to build up. You will never do it if you don't understand what it is you are fighting against. Your faith has to rise to the level to produce miracles. But there are hindrances in your way. Are you tracking me? If you're bored, say amen. That was a trick, I see. So for the next several weeks, we're going to spend a whole lot of time in the book of Romans. If you have ever read Romans, it's one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. It's becoming one of my top favorites because I've been spending a lot of time in it. Romans chapter 5 is where I'm going to begin this morning, but I'm going to spend a lot of time. You're going to hear the same verses in Romans over and over and over again for the next several weeks, okay? Because there's just so much here. Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, are you saved? Okay, I got three saved people in here. We have got a lot of praying to do, saints of God. All right, we got five saved folks. The rest of you heathens, hear me out. Let's start this again. Are you saved? <laughs> All right, praise Jesus. Woo. <sighs> My numbers this month was going way up because I was about to have an altar call. We was going to get 75,000 people saved on one Sunday. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, that's you. If you're saved, he's talking to you. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So Paul is writing this book to the Roman believers. This was, this was the church who had, who had been planted in Rome. But you have to understand, Rome was a very hedonistic city. 
It was not easy being a Christian in Rome back then. It certainly wouldn't have been easy to become a disciple of Jesus Christ in a place like Rome. They had an atmosphere of wickedness. They worshipped all kinds of gods. They had wild sex parties all in the, out in the open and, and just drunkenness and debauchery just filled the streets. So for these believers who have been made right in God's sight through faith in Jesus Christ, this is who he's writing to. And listen to what he says. He says, because of our faith, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. You don't deserve heaven. But because he loves you enough, he's given you undeserved privilege. That ought to make a a Baptist shout this morning. And Paul was describing what happens when you get saved. Pay attention to what he says. Because of Jesus, we have peace with God. Now, when it comes to God, you have three kinds of peace. You have peace in God. You have peace of God, and you have peace with God. I'm going to break all three of these down very quickly. The peace of God is the peace that you don't understand. Okay? When I say I have the peace of God that passes all understanding, here's what I mean. It's the peace of God that kept me from losing my mind in the last season that I went through. It was the peace of God that kept me from crossing this table and snatching you ball-headed and slapping the taste plumb out of your mouth for the way you just talked to me. You need to be the most saved person in this room because you need to be thanking our Heavenly Father that I have the peace of God because it is keeping me from breaking your full neck. Y'all not going to help me right there. That's the peace of God. And then then there's the peace in God. Here's the peace in God. The peace in God is if I can worship my way into His presence... I find this tranquility that settles over me that makes me forget all the mess that's going on in my life. That's, and that's, that's peace in God. And, and you get there, you get there through worship. But in Romans, he's talking about the peace with God. Are you with me? And the peace with God is this. This is my relationship status. This is the me that used to run away from God, but now I have peace with God, so I'm now running toward him. That's what this, so for the next five weeks, I'm going to be talking to you about who you are in Christ and that you have this peace with God, but still, there's there's a war. God has called you His. He has called you righteous. He has said you are saved, you are mine, you are my son, you are my daughter. He has established you right. But what's with this kicking around on the inside of me? That's what we're going to be dealing with for the next several weeks. And each week, I'm going to be breaking down a different problem you have. And I know you have it because they're common in every one of us, okay? So the Bible, the Bible tells us that we can do whatever we want. You, you have what, what the Bible calls liberty, okay? Just because you get saved does not mean that God will start putting you uh, in a figure four leg lock if you want to go sin, You can do whatever you want to do because you are a free moral agent. But listen to what Romans chapter 6 says in verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? (laughs) Of course not. The King James says, God forbid. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. So my question to you this morning is if who you used to be before you died to sin. Did you see what it said? It said you you were dead to sin. Did you see that? Did, Did you see that? You are dead to sin. So my question to you is this. If you aren't who you used to be anymore, why won't you bury the body? Why, if you are done with that old life, if you are no longer planning to be that person anymore, why haven't you held the funeral? Why do you keep this old you still hanging around in the closet just in case the right person 
slides into your... Y'all not going to help me. <laughs> see, see when he, what Paul said here about baptism, he said when you get baptized, it is a public decoration. That you are telling every devil that used to live in your house that they might as well find another house to haunt because you don't live there anymore. Yeah, I'm a different person now. That's what he was saying. It's, but it says this. It says you died to sin. When the blood of Jesus hit your life, you died to sin. It doesn't say sin is dead to you. You have to kill it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's good preaching. It says you're dead to sin, which means you are a new creature. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that you are a new creature. You're not who you used to be. But it doesn't say sin is dead to you. And we're going to find out over the next five weeks. Sin leaves a, a taste in your mouth. And, and sometimes, sometimes you get, sometimes you get thirsty for that thirst trap. Verse 6 says this. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in us. We are no longer slaves to sin. Does anybody remember when sin used to tell you what to do? Does anybody remember when sin gave you its marching orders? If it said shoot up, you shot up. If it said turn up, you turned up. Y'all not going See, I'm going to be the only honest person in here this morning. I'm going to tell you that I can remember under sin's sway that I used to be commanded. I was a slave. When it said go, I went. I had no power to control it. It controlled me, my proclivities, my lusts, my rebellion, my addictions. All of it would direct my life. And I was compelled by something inside of me that would make me do what I didn't want to do. But I am no longer under sin's power because something more powerful has rescued me. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So if sin is still alive in you, it's not God's fault. In chapter 7, Paul compares what happens here to marriage. <laughs> chapter 7, verse 7. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law only applies while a person is living? For example, I'm sorry, it was verse 1. For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he kicks the bucket, uh, if you caught our real talk this past Wednesday, if you put something in his food, I found out when you found out. That my wife has been plotting my demise on more than one occasion. No wonder she was so adamant about me getting a life insurance policy. And she started watching all them Criminal Minds episodes. Figuring out how to get rid of bodies. Or at least hide the evidence of what really happened. I found out on live video. The same time you found out. That... On more than one occasion, I have thought about putting something in his food. <laughs> All right. Apparently, she had read Romans 7. When a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So what Paul is saying here, because he uses it in the context of who we used to be and who we are now... He says, if you're married to one man, you're not free to marry another man as long as that guy's asleep in the sofa uh, or in the recliner in the living room. But if the old man is dead, you are free. So, so when we discover in the next few weeks that you were born to a natural nature, 
You had old desires, you had old lusts, you had old hungers, you had old habits because you were controlled by the old man. You had flesh wounds that was keeping you trapped to your old life. And before you can marry Jesus, the old man has to be dead because you can't marry twice. So in order for you to marry yourself into Christ, the old man has to die. But if you've been saved for more than five minutes... You know that that don't happen just by snapping your fingers and coming to church on Sunday. So we start this long process of getting free. Are you ready to go with me? There's a passage in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus calls Peter and Andrew off of a boat. And here's what he says. Follow me and I will make you. I put it up here intentionally. Follow me. And I will follow me and I will make you. The following is our part. The make you is his part. Here's what this means. If you choose to follow him, he will make you. Make you what exactly? He'll make you a better version of the you that started following him. He will make you victorious. He will make you an overcomer. He will make you a disciple. You choose to follow. That's the easy part. But where you and I get into the struggle is we also try the making. We, we try to make ourselves, but the, that's the hard part. And you don't have to make you. If you choose to follow him, he says, I'll do the making. I'll revolutionize your life. I will turn everything around. I'll take out old desires and put in new desires. I'll take your old heart and give you a new heart. I will make you hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'll make you desire a thing that you didn't even know you were hungry, my God in heaven. See, see, see the hard part is his responsibility. Over in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw, though I told you I'm, I'm just full. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be all over the place. Okay, i got 40 rabbits. i got to figure out which one to trace. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw the Lord. And there was angels singing, holy, holy, holy. It doesn't get any more sacred than what Isaiah found himself in. The Lord was there. That's church service. I mean, there's angels singing. I mean, it is. That's the kind of church service where... You just fall on your face. And you know the first thing out of Isaiah's mouth? Woe unto me. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in a land of a bunch of other people who have uncleanliness too. See, the holiness of God exposed the dirtiness on Isaiah. But pay attention. The Bible says an angel went to the altar of the Lord and plucked a coal. Brought it back and touched Isaiah's lips. Touched his lips. And then he said, your sins are forgiven you. Now you can speak on behalf... The reason I bring this up is because Isaiah was in church and he wasn't changed. They were having a worship experience and he wasn't changed. Maybe he knew all the songs and knew Elevation's whole playlist and he wasn't changed. What changed him was when he got touched. His sins didn't get clean because he went to church. He, he wasn't, being, wasn't being present in, the, in a great worship service. It was a touch from the altar of the Lord that transformed him from dirty to clean. And that's what Jesus means when he said, follow me and I will make you. If you choose to follow me, I will turn you and lead you away from stuff that you think you can't live without. And I'll make you want things you didn't even know you needed. Because I will make you. Follow me and I will make you. But this will not happen without a fight. This is the war within. And here's why. Are you still with me? Your relationship with Jesus did not start with a blank canvas. Most Christians forget that. Yes, when you got saved, the Bible says you are a new creature. Which means your sins are forgiven and you are a new creation. But have you ever noticed that you really don't feel new for very long? I mean, you get saved and you feel like a new... I mean, you feel empowered by the Holy Ghost because it's all new. But that wears off. And then you feel like you always felt. Oh, just me? Here's why. 
I'm going to drop a lot of knowledge on you, okay? When you got saved, you brought with you a lifetime of tendencies and desires and hurts and habits. And those things have been your identity. So your past has always been defined, but the defining factor of who, what your identity is. Your, the word identity means this. Being repeatedly. Being repeatedly. So your identity is literally a repeated beingness. What you do over and over and over again. I'm, I'm going to get very specific, okay? Every time you repeat a behavior or a thought, you are reinforcing who you believe you are. Listen, I'm, I'm dropping some of the most important things that is going to show you exactly why your prayers are hindered. Why your faith is hindered. It begins right now. That guy scared me when I turned around. I thought there was somebody there. Thank you, boys. Every time you repeat a behavior or repeat a thought, it reinforces who you believe you are. Which means it doesn't matter who God says you are. If God can't get you to believe that you are who He says you are, then it doesn't matter who he says you are because you will repeatedly tell yourself who you think you are. In other words, I have to change the way you believe about you. I don't care this morning if you believe that God is because if you didn't believe God is, you probably wouldn't be here. So I've already got you convinced that God is who he believes he is, but I need you to believe you are who he believes you are. This is where we're heading to. So every time you go to make a choice, you are fighting a very powerful enemy. And it ain't the devil. It's your history. Every time you get ready to text that boo. Every time you get ready to deal with anxiety and stress. Every time you get ready to tell your boss what he can do with this job. You're going to run it through a filter. And it's either going to be a filter that is attached to the... Holy Spirit, or it's going to be a filter that is attached to your history. There's a war going on on the inside of you. This is what the psalmist meant when he said, Search me, God, and know my heart, and point out if there's anything offensive in me. See, without the help of the Holy Spirit, you're going to continue to gain more knowledge of who God is, but I need you to gain knowledge of who you are. Because you can know all kinds of scriptures about God and it not change you. You can know all kinds of truth about who He is because you can intellectually connect with Him. But I need you to spiritually connect with Him. Mm -hmm. So God is what we call a triune being. Don't look it up in the Bible, the word's not there. But the principle is, God is God the Father... God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That means He is three in one. That means you can't separate Jesus from the Father. You can't separate the Holy Spirit from either one of them. I don't have time to explain all that. If that just blew your mind, welcome to the club. But what I want you to know is this. In Genesis chapter 2, here's what He said about us. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living soul okay God created man and do you know how he proclaimed it he said let us make man in our image he said our because there's three of them Father, Son, Holy Ghost he said let us make man in our image so if he is triune that means we are too. Because we're made in His image and in His likeness. Are you tracking me? So you may notice in this scripture that He took the dust of the ground and He formed it into a body. I know He's missing part of His. 
put your pretend caps on with me. I realize, brother got some issues. But he was formed, the body was formed from the dust of the ground, and then God breathed into it, and the man became a living. So we are, as our Father in heaven, he is a triune being, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. We are a triune being. So we have a body. This is the part of you that is most connected with the world. You don't say you do when you look in the mirror, but you like this thing. Because this is the thing that has brought you most of the pleasure that you have felt. This flesh has got you into some mess. And it has been the source of your lusts and bondages and addictions and issues and problems. This. This, this is how you have, this is what everybody who knows you knows you as. When they know Jill, this is the Jill they know. They don't really usually, on the, they only know you on a surface level, and it's your flesh. Yeah. And then we have a soul. If you've been with me any time at all, you know what makes up a soul. It's our mind, our will, and our emotions. Okay. If this guy ain't getting you into enough trouble, this one will start shouting off. This one's the one that likes to get on Facebook and tell everybody a piece of your mind. Uh-huh. This, this is the mind, the will, and the emotions. Now, then if we're like our Father, He's a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, He is three in one. You are also three in one. So we have flesh, we have soul, and then there's something called spirit now we're in Romans and Romans chapter 8 tells us that the spirit is the part of you that isn't alive until it gets infused with power after you get saved Romans 11 and 8 I'm sorry Romans 8 and 11 but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit that dwells in you. Okay, so let me give you something for free. You work around people. You have a bunch of them on Facebook and Instagram as your followers and your friends. You got people in your family who do not have the Holy Spirit. They have not gotten saved. They are in this soulish existence. Please stop expecting people who have never graduated from this level to act like you. Please. P please stop holding them to your standards. Because you who have the Spirit alive in you knows how to please your Father and you're trying. These jokers ain't. They are as lost as a goose in a hailstorm. They do not have any desire to please their Heavenly Father. So when we try as the church to make the government act like the church, we are a dog chasing our tail because they are here. And they will never see what you and I see. So they're not going to try to act like you and I act because they are stuck in a realm where they have no power because they are missing the one thing that makes them alive, which is the Spirit. When you got saved, the Bible says your spirit got quickened. Quickened means that it came alive. So every source of power that you have lives on the inside of you. Somebody say amen. So, there is a war for control. Between these three parts of you. You've got a spirit that is very much wanting to please your father. You've got a soul and a flesh that very much wants to do its own thing. In a few weeks, we're going to run through a whole scenario up here. I'm looking forward to that, but I can't do that one yet. I've got to lay some foundation. There are two bridges that you use every day that connects these three parts of you. 
Are you saved? Do I have any saved people? I know I have three of you. Okay. I got a little more now. Some of you got saved since I started this sermon. If you're saved, you have the Spirit in you. All of us have a soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And all of us have this troublemaker. There are two bridges that you use to connect these three parts of you. One of which... Dun, da, da, da. I call this Ryan because it's a big brain. This is what you think about. And what you think about is a bridge that connects these three parts of you. But this is not the only bridge you have. Oh no. You got this one too. So this is what you think about, and this is what causes you to do what you think about. Bump, 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 bump. Won't you be my valentine? This is where your impulses come from. You wonder where all the trouble has been in your life? Meet the culprit. It's right here, baby. Uh-huh. The mind is the steering wheel of your life. It's the one that if you point it in a certain direction, it causes you to look a certain direction. This is the transmission that gets your motor running and engages you to head that direction. When these two are working together, they are a bridge over troubled water and into it. Uh-huh. When your heart and your mind, these are the two bridges that you use to connect these three parts of you. I need to train you over the next four weeks how to get these two right. These, these are the two that I'm going to work on for the next four weeks. Because they're the bridges that connect these two. Are you still with me? So, so if you train your mind to go a certain direction, your heart is liable to go the same place. Because most of the time, whatever's on your mind, the Bible says, ends up in your heart. And the two of them working together will either make you chase the Lord or chase a mess. Depending on what you set these two on. Uh-huh. But sometimes this one wants to go rogue. And doesn't want to do what this one tells it. This one wants to go do its own thing. Because <laughs> this is true. I like that. I'm preaching now. Most of the time, whatever's on your mind will end up in your heart. But when this one wants to do what... This one will want to do what it wants to do, especially when it can't get this to agree. But look how fine he is. You know he was trouble when you met him and you're not going to change him. But look at his abs. And my mind is telling me, no, but my mind don't feel his hand. Y'all not going to help me. <laughs> let, let me help this guy first. I have some stuff in here that I don't need. And I got some stuff I'd really like to get into him. That it seems like I've, met, I've, I've reached my maximum capacity. And I don't know if I need to like get a bigger hard drive. Because there's stuff I need to remember that I can't remember. And there's stuff that I need to forget that seems like I can't get away from. Now all of you holy people, you can check out for the next two minutes. Because I got, this is, my, this is Bishop's brain for a minute. And I cannot for the life of me remember the phone number to the office here at this church. But I still remember the phone number at my mama's house when I was eight years old. And I haven't dialed 5893991 in over 20 years. But I remember it. But I don't know the number to this building, and I work here every day. I remember 913 1 was the combination to my junior high locker. But there are days that I stand in the kitchen and can't remember if I took my medication before I go to bed. Now, 
And all you, some of you are too holy to catch this reference. But I can go to the supermarket for three things. Chances are, I'm going to forget one of them. But if the radio in the store is tuned to an 80s or a 90s station... I'm going to know every word of every song that I ain't listened to in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Why can I not remember to get heavy whipping cream, but I know every word the baby got back? Why? Why? Like I'm standing in the middle of the aisle saying, I know I came in here for something and salt and pepper's on. I'm like, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> and the con- <laughs> so the concept of the heart is very important for you to understand because why? This is how you deal with things, this is how your faith system is going to work. So if I can get you to understand the heart and the mind, you're going to understand how your faith is connected to these two things, okay? And I can't give it all to you in one sermon. That's why it's going to take several, because there's just too much. And, and, and this year, we've been trying to increase our faith and our prayer life, amen? And, and the next several weeks, I'm going to show you why we're not seeing miracles and breakthroughs and deliverances that this book says we're supposed to have. And it's these two bridges to these three parts of you. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. Okay, we're going to talk about your faith life. Is this all right? Are you still tracking me? Anytime you got to go, I know it's been 46 minutes, but I can't stop here. Have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up, thrown into the sea. And what? And what? It will happen. But you must really believe it and happen and not Doubt. Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about faith. I thought we were talking about faith, and I thought faith was super spiritual. What's, a, what's my heart got to do with moving mountains with faith? Listen to what it says again. Jesus said, you must believe it will happen and have no doubt in this. Uh-huh. The heart is the core of your existence. It's the center of the human being and the container of who you are as a person is right here. This is who you are as a person. It's not your intellect. It's not your degree on the wall. It's right here. This defines who you are. Within the confines of your heart is the definition of your totality and your existence. And and listen, sometimes you can intellectually receive, but if it doesn't get into this, this is what Jesus was talking about. He said, you can intellectually come into agreement with my word, but if it doesn't enter the heart, you'll have doubt and you won't see the miracle. Right? I never, this is new revelation to me too. He said, you can come to church on Sundays and get trained and intellectually agree that the scriptures say we should see miracles. But if you have doubt here, it doesn't matter what this thing says because you're not going to receive the miracle because this has doubt in it. And, and, and listen, the heart and the mind are often contrary to each other. Because the heart is the real you. This is the pretend you. This is where you learn how to cope and tell everybody everything's okay. But you can't hide it here. This tells the story of who you really are. This is who you pretend to be. Let me show you how this affects your faith. You lived a life before you got saved. Amen? And in the process of that life, you learned how to get whatever you needed. Whether you was a baby and you would cry until somebody changed you or fed you or burped you. Or then you grew up and became a husband and you would cry until somebody changed you or fed you or burped you. We don't change much, ladies. Uh, You learned that you either had to get stuff yourself. You had to steal it, or you had to ask somebody for it. That's how you learned in the flesh to get whatever you needed. Then you got saved. 
And you're supposed to train yourself now to depend on when your whole life you have depended on. Are you, are you with me? Is there any light bulbs coming on? So your whole existence, your heart told you, if I'm going to do it, I'll have to do it myself. Nobody will care like I care. If I'm going to do it, I'll have to work harder. I'll have to make it happen. Or I'll have to go to the right. I need to make the right connections. I need to know the right names. I need ah, 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 ah. And that's what you learned for the whole course of your existence was to take care of everything yourself. And then you got saved, and now you got to retrain this to depend on him. And this is why our faith is lagging. Because you are fighting you. You're fighting your history. You're fighting your makeup. You're fighting how you trained yourself for 20, 30, 40 years, however long it took you to get saved. You trained yourself to be self-sufficient. And now you're fighting you because God doesn't want you to do it. He wants you to have faith and not doubt in your heart. So when it comes to believing and trusting God and His Word, where do you put your expectations now? Because you used to put them in yourself. And now you, God wants you to put your expectations into Him. What do you have in your heart? When God says His Word, He is convinced it will happen. The Bible says His Word will never return back to Him void. It will accomplish everything He sent it out to do. So in other words, God has no question. If He says a thing... It's going to happen. But he can't convince you that what he says he's going to do. If you want God to do more in your life, you're going to have to raise your level of expectation, but not in yourself, in him. Matthew 17 and 20 says this. You don't have enough faith, Jesus told him. I tell you the truth. If you had, my faith, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible so if it only takes a little bit of faith to move a mountain why hasn't your mountain moved why if it only takes a little bit of faith if it only takes a little bit of faith why hasn't your mountain moved can I help you what if God when it comes to moving the mountains in our life has a different idea of what it's going to look like than you do See, when you say that you're going to move a mountain, you have the idea of the whole mountain being picked up and moved. But what if God wants to move that mountain one rock at a time? One prayer at a time. One more trip to the altar. One more time of, of being sacrificial. One more time of being faithful. One more time of, of falling on my face and worshiping Him when I don't feel like I got anything to be thankful for. Maybe He's going to move that mountain one stone at a time. And you, you, you want it right now. Can I help you? This thing was born impatient. That's why it got you into those last 17 relationships. It don't want to wait on the right one. It'll take Mr. Right now. It's born impatient. It got you into the wrong job. It got you into the wrong mortgage. Anybody ever thought their way into trouble? It's emotions that get us there. Okay? So, so what if God is wanting you to be patient? Well, once your spirit came to life inside of you, you're supposed to have it, this attached to this. But your whole life, it's been attached to whatever he wanted. So we're having to train you to relearn how to use this. Why do you think the Bible tells you to guard your because whatever you attach this to will cause conflict. Oh, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that got into something and went, I knew better. Remember the V8 commercials? I think I have some kind of hemorrhaging on the front of my brain. I've done it to myself so many times through the year. I knew better. Have you ever, nobody ever, well, I know better, but I'm going to do it anyway. No, we don't do that. 
This thing runs behind this thing. He, he, run, he, he runs at the speed of now. This thing runs at the speed of love. And the speed of love happens to run at the same speed as stupid does. Just so you know. So this outruns this. This gets you into the door, into the bed, into trouble, into the bank, gets you into all kinds of mess, and then he shows up hunting and huffing about, uh, uh, would you slow down? And that's when you have the epiphany. I knew better. That's the war <laughs> that's going on the inside of you. We're trying to break old habits here. You think everything you do when you come to church is all about that. See, that's already perfect. I'm going to show you in a couple weeks that Paul says in Romans, this thing wants to please Father. This part of you, this is, the, this is why there's so much conflict in you. This likes Daddy. That one likes Daddy too, but it's a different Daddy that one's in love with. So my problem is not that I don't have enough Jesus. Hello? My problem is not that I don't have enough Jesus. My problem is I got too much me. And you don't know it, but every time you see me, there's two of us. Matter of fact, the Bible says if your right arm offends you, pluck it off. Uh-huh. This is the me that I don't ever introduce you to. But he's always with me. Oh, yeah. See, now look, I churched him up because he's got a promise of victory hat on. So, so you can... You can still be the old me and wear church gear. Matter of fact, I can bring him to church with me. Matter of fact, some of y'all did this morning. When y'all sat down, y'all might as well say, can you scoot over a little bit? Because I got a friend that's going to sit here with me this morning. <laughs> yeah. Because he really needs Jesus. He needs to hear. You, you need to hear what the preacher is saying because you're a mess. <laughs> I know you got your popcorn toboggan on but you're you're a mess and he 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 goes he goes everywhere I go and I speak in tongues and I pray a long time and I I got all kinds of scripture memorized and stuff he just comes right along with me he goes to church with me I tell you he shows up in some other places too I promise you he drives with me oh yeah oh yeah because when I'm driving I'm saved for the Holy Ghost. I ain't the one laying on that horn. It's him. I know Main Street and Weirton is 25 miles an hour, but this guy, this guy's got to do 55. And everybody that stops short and puts their blinkers on, you idiot! Who taught you how to drive? What is wrong with you? It's not me. It's not me. It's him. It's him. Oh, this guy loves my family reunions. I don't care for him. He shows up, and he definitely shows up because he's the only one they're comfortable with. If I show up, they say, oh, there's the preacher. He shows up, party time. We'll forget we're saved for a Saturday afternoon. Then we'll come to church hungover. Y'all not going to help me. As a matter of fact, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you when he definitely shows up. He definitely shows up. I've been married almost 30 years. And if she makes him mad, he shows up. And let me tell you a thing about yourself that you may not know. Uh-huh. Ma'am. It's not me. I'm the pastor. I can't be the pastor and the devil. It's the old me. As a matter of fact, here's, what, here, here's, here's the real problem. Hold him. 
cradle him like he's your baby. Here, here, here's the real problem. I like to make her responsible for him. I, I like to leave him right there and say, he wouldn't even show up if you acted right. He, the only reason he's even here is because the way you've been treated. I like to make her responsible for this guy. And here's, here's the context of this whole thing. Here's the old man. Paul said he's supposed to, you can't marry Jesus until the old man is, what? Uh, oh, so you come to promise a victory some Sunday morning, and Bishop preached real good, and you're going to lay this joker on the altar, and we're going to take the sword of the Word of God, and we are going to eliminate him once and for all, and right here in front of God and everybody, we're going to sacrifice the old man. And just about the time you are going to penetrate him and eliminate him, your mind starts asking the question, but how are we going to make it if we don't have this? How is God going to supply? How is God going to bring us through if we don't have this? And while Bishop is up here trying to kill this thing, you're giving it CPR, trying to bring it back to life because you want to take it back home with you this guy's got to go if we're going to marry Jesus in the fullness of the spirit of God he's got to go here's the problem are you ready I'm, I'm done finally Who are you married to? Because as long as the old man is still alive, you're not free to marry. And some of us come to church every Sunday and we flirt with Jesus. But we're not free to marry him. Because the old man is still alive. We flirt with living right. We flirt with getting free. We flirt with deliverance. But when it don't come easy... We take him back home with us because this is what we're used to because you haven't trained this thing and this thing to come under submission to a new life where he don't call the shots anymore where he's not in control anymore this is all you've known this is it he has been in control of you for so long it's all you're comfortable with and you've got to retrain I don't have time to do Romans 12 that, that's in another sermon down the road you have to retrain how to live with him out of the picture so you can be free. My God, I feel free all of a sudden. For the first time, I don't have that thing on my back. I don't have to make room for him in the pew. I don't have to snuggle with him at night. I don't have to depend on him because I can depend on Jesus came to Bethany because his friend Lazarus was dead. You know this story, right? And the sister got upset with Jesus. And she come running to him and said, Had you been here three days ago, my brother would still be alive. What she was saying was, I believe you to be a healer. But now he's dead and it's over. Because when you learn in your heart that only certain things are possible, that puts a limit on what God can do in your life. She limited what God was capable of doing. She said, I believe you're a healer. And had you been here when he was still alive and sick, you could have healed him. And Jesus says something so profound that most people lose. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. She said, I know on the last day we will all be resurrected because she had an intellectual understanding of resurrection. Her mind knew the scripture that on the last day we will all be resurrected. She had an intellectual understanding of what God can do. But he needed to move it from her head to her heart. And he said, I didn't come here to show you what you already believe me to be. I came here to blow your mind. 
I came here to kick your faith up a notch and train you in levels that you never thought was possible. I'm not just the resurrection at the end of this thing. I'm resurrection right here, right now, walking in sandals in this dusty road in Bethany. And if you'll call on me and believe in me, I can retrain you. Come and follow me and I will make you something that you have never been before. And I will raise the level of your faith to a spot where you will see miracles you've never seen. But here's the kicker. And man, this is good. This is good. What the Holy Ghost showed me about this story that I've never seen before. He said, Lazarus had to die so I could show him who I am. And unless you're willing to let the old man die, you're never going to see what's possible. Because in order for him to show you what he can do, the old man has to die. So I'm not going to linger. I know I've preached a long time. But if there's anybody in this room this morning that knows that you're sick and tired of being sick and tired and you want to be free, I want my prayer team to come on up here. I want my staff to come on up here and get ready because I believe freedom's about to hit some people. Listen, when you get free, stuff that used to hold you is not going to be able to hold you anymore. I'm just telling you what's about to happen in this room. I have prayed and saturated this thing over uh, the course of months, and I know I know what's about to happen in here. What used to trip you won't trip you no more. You used to be out of control, but you're about to gain the control that you need because the old man is about to die. Once and for all, the old man is going to be dead. Addictions are going to be broken at this altar. Rebellion is going to be broken. You seeking love in the wrong places is about to get broken. I hope you're serious when you come up here this morning because you're about to leave change. The old man is about to die in this room. (laughs) Yeah, you need to tell your habit we're finished. You need to tell your depression we're through. You need to tell your old, weak, feeble mind it is done and we are no longer friends because the old man is dead. If you need to kill the old man, come to this altar this morning. Oh, my God in heaven, do what only you can do. Who are you married to this morning? Who are you married to? Who are you married to?